0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I meant to say, I don't think I said at the beginning of Mass, but today we celebrate the feast day of the Holy Innocents. I imagine you picked up on that with the opening prayer, though. So much death accompanies the birth of the Messiah. Like this week in particular, we have the Feast, of, Feast Day of St. Stephen, the first martyr. We have today the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Tomorrow we'll be celebrating the Feast Day of St. Thomas Beckett, and Friday we'll be celebrating the Feast Day of the Holy Family where we'll all have to die to our image of our own idealized families, right? All of those things. So, Let's linger with this intentionally jarring reality that coming right on the heels of Christmas, we have all of these days with these martyrs. The Savior's born, the king has landed, instead of letting us bask in the holly and the ivy and Nat King Cole and good King Wenceslaus, we're given King Herod and his monstrous order to slaughter the baby boys of Bethlehem in the surrounding vicinity, two years old and younger. How exactly is this part of God's plan? How exactly is this part of God's plan? Well, I think a deep, full answer to that question, if there is a full answer to that question, it certainly lies outside of the scope of a daily mass homily. How to justify God's goodness in the face of such evil and suffering. It's a a branch of theology known as theodicy, giving a, defense of God, a justification of God's goodness in light of all of this evil. To do that, it's ultimately fruitless. It's ultimately fruitless. It's it's like when St. Augustine was trying to write his treatise on the Trinity. And the story goes that he's on the beach and he sees this little boy digging a hole in the sand and He runs to the ocean, fills up a seashell with water, comes back, pours it in the hole, goes back to the ocean, same thing, back and forth, back and forth. And he asks the little boy, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to fit the ocean into this hole. He's like, you silly boy, that's not going to work. And then the angel looks at him, or the child looks at him, and speaks with the voice of an angel and says, so is your effort to try and understand the Trinity, O Augustine. It's not going to fit. It's not going to fit these realities of suffering like this it only will make sense in the light of eternity. I think in anybody who tries to say well this is the explanation hasn't really sat with suffering long enough. Here's what I can say though about this there is a certain fittingness that accompanies the newborn king with these newborn martyrs for his cause. There's a fittingness that there would be martyrs for the coming of the newborn king. Because when we lose sight of the great story that Christ came to confront an enemy, to rescue, to liberate, and to ransom a people taken captive by the enemy, we'll always be puzzled by the fact that there's so much blood that accompanies Christmas. Like we sang in that entrance hymn, thank you, Paul. We sang in that entrance hymn, God, rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born this Christmas day. For what? To save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Or the psalm that we just sang. Our soul has been rescued like a bird from a fowler's snare. The Feast of the Holy Innocents, it invites us to gaze at the monstrous figure of, of Herod the Great a man who was as real as you and me in history, and who is deeply depraved in ways that are just a little bit too rated R for a homily for daily mass. But what's strange is that Herod's actions unintentionally reveal the mystery. They reveal the mystery of who this baby king is. Just like during his passion when Pilate unintentionally was one of the first evangelists. When he Nailed above the crucifix, when he nailed above the cross the declaration, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, he had it written in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Mocking him, certainly, but unintentionally revealing and declaring who he was. Just like Herod, in this case, unintentionally reveals who this Christ is. Because Herod's response is a military response. It's not glitter. It's not candy cane, gingerbread Christmas story. It's not a Christmas card response. It's a recognition that a new king is here. A new king. A king who, in Herod's mind, is an existential threat to his hold on the power that he has. And he responds by lashing out. In some ways, Herod's military response is a recognition that the new king is here and he's a threat to me. And was he right? Yeah, in some ways he was, absolutely. Because this king who has landed in disguise behind enemy lines, yes, he's indeed come to confront the enemy, but he's also come to undo and flip upside down all of the demonic ways that we have allowed ourselves to structure and order society. In that way, Herod's grip on power was indeed threatened. In some ways he was right. Because Jesus had come to destroy the enemy. He had come to liberate Herod from his own pathetic fiefdom. And here's the point for you and me. There are Herods that lurk in our hearts. There's a Herod, a little Herod that lurks in all of our hearts. These little parts of our hearts that still, despite all of the years, despite all of our conversions, despite all of the daily masses, despite all of our faithfulness, there are still little parts of our hearts that see Jesus as a threat to our way of life, a threat to our comfort, a threat to our status quo, a threat to our way of thinking and understanding. Herod lurks in little ways in our hearts because Jesus has come to confront and turn upside down all of it. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus, the kind of king that he is, he says, instead of coming in with like military might, like Herod's response. He comes and he says, I will subvert you by letting you destroy me. I will overthrow you by letting you conquer me. I will gain the victory through defeat. Right? That's how he does it. That's how he does it. That's why the cross, that's why all of these red vestments are necessary this week. The cross hangs its shadow, casts its shadow, all the way back to the manger. This is from Venerable Fulton Sheen. He says this, It was not so much that his birth cast a shadow on his life and thus led to his death. It was rather that the cross was there from the beginning and it cast its shadow backward to his birth. Ordinary mortals like you and me, we go from known to the unknown, submitting submitting themselves to forces beyond their control. Hence, we can speak of their tragedies, but he went from the known to the known, from the reason for his coming, namely to be Jesus, to be Savior, to the fulfillment of his coming, namely the death on the cross. Friends, all of these holy innocents, these child martyrs for the great king who rejoice now and forever around the throne, we call upon their intercession today that you and I, that we would allow Jesus to conquer all of the Herod-held territories of our hearts and lives more and more every day. Amen.